There they are. It's as bad as leaving them on your head, huh? I was a little afraid. I don't know how much of 1 Kings chapter 20 I have memorized, but without the glasses it would have been rough. We've been looking at uh, lately at the life of Elijah, and tonight we take a, there's a, a little parenthetical section in 1 Kings that kind of takes its focus off of Elijah. Remember, we left Elijah last time in a cave. Remember, he ran out to the middle of the desert, went and hid in a cave. God came to him and, and began to, to try to show him things that Elijah prior hadn't quite understood. And he showed him that mighty tornado and the earthquake and the fire. But the scripture says in each of those cases, God wasn't in them. But it was in the gentle silence, still small voice, that God was in. And we see that God kind of lays out for Elijah as he goes on and he tells him in chapter 19, he says, when you leave this place, Elijah, when you go, I want you to anoint Hazael. Now, he doesn't actually anoint him, but, but what God is doing is laying out for Elijah, here's what's going to happen. Hazael is going to become king and he's going to fill one of those positions. It doesn't matter, tornado, earthquake, or fire. They're destructive forces. And he's going to bring God's judgment on a northern kingdom. And then after him, he says, I want you to go into Israel and, and anoint Jehu. And <clears throat> Jehu will, whoever Hazael does not judge, Jehu will judge. Whoever Hazael does not kill by the sword, Jehu will kill by the sword. And then he says, I want you to also go and anoint Elisha to follow after you. He's going to be the next main prophet that we see on the scene after Elijah. His name is Elisha. Why they had to be so close is beyond me. I've stumbled over the two of them ever since. But he goes and he finds Elisha. And the Lord says, and whoever Hazael doesn't kill, whoever Jehu doesn't destroy, Elisha is going to get. And then we look at those three guys. And Hazael and Jehu were simply God's judgment to people who, who had continued down a road that sooner or later all sin will be judged. Everybody, everybody will face a judgment day. But that wasn't Elisha. See, Elisha ministered to people by the sword of the Spirit. Elisha becomes an example of the gentle stillness. God's voice. Sometimes we want to see God in all these things. Now, I'm not saying God's not sovereign. I do believe firmly everything that happens on this earth has to pass through his hands. Has to come through God's hands. He's sovereign, all-powerful. Scripture lays those things out. But it doesn't mean God's in them. Sometimes they're for judgment. Sometimes they're for Things we can't begin to fathom or understand. But what God tells Elijah is, I am there in the gentle silence. Jesus said it this way. If they won't believe my word, the Ruach. If they won't believe that that spoken word, they won't believe that written word. Neither will they believe, even if someone is to rise from the dead. And it's what we see true in the nature of man. We've been talking about that. The, the ability to change the nature of a man is something that is found distinctly in God. And it's not often going to be the miracle that changes somebody. 
it's going to be the fact that they believe what God said. And so we see Elijah there leave the cave, come down through the wilderness, calls Elisha. Elisha burns his bridges, burns the ships. However, whatever illustration you want, he burns any way back. He destroys his oxen. He feeds it to his neighbors. He tears up his cart and he goes with Elijah. Takes the mantle and he, he goes after him with everything. Unreserved following. And as Elijah is somewhere on his journey, God is still moving. Elijah prior had said he was the only guy left in the cave. I alone am left. But God said, I have 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. I've got other prophets that I'm utilizing. And as we look at chapter 20, that's who we see as another of God's prophets ministering to Ahab, the wicked king. This is what he says in chapter 20. Now Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his forces together. Thirty-two kings were with him, and horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. Now Samaria had become the capital, the area where Ahab had his palace. Often Jezebel was in Jezreel, and Ahab was in Samaria. Now at times they would be together, at times they would be separate. Whether she's with him at this point or not, we don't know. You'll, you'll see why that's important in a couple of verses. But <clears throat> there Ahab is, and the king of Syria comes against him. Now, just so we can kind of have an idea, the king of Syria has 32 kings underneath him. My, it could be translated princes. He's already conquered 32 other nations, and they are his vassals. And he's using their armies. The number of this army they're putting somewhere in a neighborhood of 100,000 people. So keep that in mind. In a minute, we'll read about the 230 that Ahab is going to send. And then behind them will come 7,000. I don't know if you've ever seen 7,000 against 100,000, but those aren't good odds. That's better than 10 to 1. So chance is pretty slim. So here's this big army outside. And as that big army is coming down and it's making its way towards Samaria... Along the way, that king sends a messenger to Ahab. And this is what he tells Ahab. He sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said, Thus says Ben-Hadad. Now keep in mind also, Ben-Hadad, this is a title. You're going to see this title over and over again. It's not always the same king. It becomes a title of the, of the kings of Syria and some of the kings in the area. So Ben-Hadad said, Your silver, your gold are mine. Your loveliest wives and children are mine. And the king of Israel answered. So this is a message he takes. So the guy comes, the messenger comes, says, Hey, uh, King Ben-Hadad is out here. He's got an army of 100,000, 32 vassal kings whose armies are following with him. We're coming against you, and this is his message to you. All of your stuff is mine. I want all your silver, all your gold, your prettiest wives, you can keep the ugly ones, and all your children. (laughs) So he says, This is the deal. And so Ahab responds, and the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. So Ahab's trying to stay out of a fight. So he says, okay, I'll give it. Now at this point, the way it's been spoken, and the understanding in the Middle Eastern culture is what the king is saying 
is I want you to give me all your stuff. And Ahab is saying, sure, I'll give you all my stuff. Now, what he would have done, we don't know. Because he's going to take that message back to the king, Ben-Hadad, and Ben-Hadad is now going to respond. Because Ben-Hadad doesn't really care. Ben-Hadad is pecking a fight. So I don't think it matters what Ahab says. He's going to fight. Listen to what Ben-Hadad says next. So the messengers came back and said, Thus speaks Ben-Hadad. Indeed, I have sent to you, saying, You will deliver me your silver, gold, your wives, and your children. But this is how I want it, he says. I will send my servants to you tomorrow at this time, and they will search through your house and the houses of your servants. And whatever they like, whatever pleases them, whatever is pleasant in their eyes, they will put in their hands and take it. So now it's no longer the king giving him his gold and silver. Now they say, we're going to walk through your palace and we're going to take everything we want. So on one hand, it's a pretty extreme thing that the king is asking for. Now he's just made it more extreme. This is why I say Ben-Hadad is pecking a fight. He don't want Ahab to agree. He wants Ahab to fight because he knows Ahab has a small, tiny army. He is a small, tiny place compared to Syria and the power of Syria at this time. And so scripture tells us the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and he said, notice please, and see how this man seeks trouble. So he, he recognized it. Ben-Hadad is picking a fight. Here's what he said. He sent to me for my wives and my children and my silver and my gold, and I did not deny him. This is one of the reasons I'm not sure Jezebel's there. Jezebel was a mean woman. And I'm, I don't think she's going to be okay with Ahab saying, yeah, you can have Jezebel. I think she'd have went out and fought the guy. So I don't think she was there. Now, there's no way to know. But like I said, she spent most of her time where the temples were there in Jezreel than she did in Samaria. But she might have been there. Maybe she didn't hear about it. I don't know. So he responds. He says, well, he sent to me for my wives and my children, and I didn't deny him. Um, And all the elders said to him, do not listen or consent. So they hear the plan, and they say, king <laughs> it was okay when he was gonna the king was gonna give all his stuff but as soon as he's walking through all the officers and all his servants and all their houses now nobody's okay with the plan so he says no you can't consent now the, i want you to also recognize that in that in saying that they are acknowledging that they're all going to be conquered they have no hope of winning Okay, it's only in the movies where 300 take on a million and win. Okay, in case you ever heard a crazy movie out there called The 300, which is, by the way, not historically accurate at all. There was somewhere in the neighborhood of 47,000. There was just 300 Spartans. Nonetheless, so it's still a big...
Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.